Our scripture today comes from Mark 11, verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 25. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold every, anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let me begin with a question this morning. Do you like figs? Any, any fanatics of figs in here? Maybe you dislike figs. No one's responding. You're all staring at me like, you talk, we listen. Um, maybe you've never tried figs. I don't know. Anyone in here never tried figs? Anyone in here dislike figs? Where are our fig fanatics? My grandma used to always have fig newtons. Remember those? <laughs> well, we're going to uh, see in the passage of Scripture today, I guess I'm not sure, was Jesus a fan of figs or not? Maybe not so because he curses the fig tree. <laughs> but he was kind of hoping for a snack from them, so maybe he was a fan. I don't know. But um, the question right at the onset today is, What? Jesus cursed a poor little fig tree and it withered up and died? Why? Why on earth did he do this? Well, because it had no fruit. The fig tree had no fruit. That's why Jesus cursed it. And so there's really a very powerful truth for us today that God longs for his people to bear fruit. (laughs) He wants us to be filled with faith. That he wants us, as we saw in verse 25, to forgive others and really join him in doing the impossible. Doing the impossible through remarkable prayer. Remarkable prayer, and that's just what we're going to talk about together today. So let me introduce myself. I'm John, and I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. We are continuing with our sermon series uh, this summer through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and it's called Remarkable. And today, we come to a passage that is, let's just say, a little strange. A little Strange. Renee read this for us just a few moments ago. So let's break this story down. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 11. But in this story, Jesus encounters a fig tree. He's journeying from Bethany to the capital city of Jerusalem. This is during the the Jewish uh, Passover holiday. And in the distance, Jesus sees a tree. He knows it's a fig tree, and he sees that there are leaves on this tree... Now, I'll say this, from, from what I've learned from my studies, that fig trees are unique from most other trees, and the reason is because they produce fruit 
before they produce leaves. So they're unique from most other trees. The fruit comes and then the leaves come. So the fact that the tree Jesus saw has leaves on it, it suggests that there's going to be some sort of fruit on the tree, right? It's maybe leftover figs from uh, the, the previous season or little immature figs just growing in uh, fresh. And so, yes, it's true that, that fig season was over. Mark tells us that. But it wasn't at all unreasonable for Jesus to expect to find something on this tree. But the only thing Jesus finds on the tree is leaves. That's the only thing he finds when he gets to the tree. He sees it from the distance. There are leaves on it. He expects the fruit when he gets up to it. There's nothing on it but leaves. And so what does Jesus do? If we look at verse 14, he declares that no one is ever going to eat fruit from this particular tree again. Now, a lot of people struggle with this passage. What did this poor little tree do to deserve being cursed by our Lord? Poor little tree. <laughs> didn't hurt anybody. Didn't do anything wrong. Like, like this story just seems kind of odd. This is the last recorded miracle of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Right here in chapter 11, this is the last recorded miracle we have in this particular Gospel. And it is a, what I would call a miracle of destruction. It's a miracle whereby he destroys this tree. And so Mark also, as I said, he, he mentions it's not the season for figs. And so it might seem unreasonable for Jesus to expect to find some figs on it. In fact, famous atheist writer Bertrand Russell listed this incident as one of the reasons why he is not a Christian. So before we just look at the surface of this story and see Jesus curses a tree because it had no snack for him. Again, he was, he was journeying, right? You, you know how you go to a gas station when you're taking a trip and you go in and you grab the Slim Jim or the Ho-Ho, whatever your particular snack of choice is. Like, like that's what Jesus is doing here. He's traveling. He wants the snack of the fig from the tree. There's no fig there. He curses the tree. So before we take this story at sort of a surface level and just say, Jesus was hungry and wanted a snack, and so he cursed the fig tree, we're going to go just a little bit deeper. So sandwiched between the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree and then his teaching, all of which Renee read for us, verses, uh, then in verses 20 and 25, sandwiched in between there, I hope you have your Bible with you and you can look and see, it's an episode we call the cleansing of the temple. The cleansing of the temple. Jesus drives people out of the temple courts who are buying and selling. What he does is he overturns the tables of the money changers. And he says, you have turned a house of prayer into a den of robbers. So this temple that Jesus was in, uh, you may know something about uh, Israel's temples. This, this one is the second temple. The first one was built by Solomon. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC. Construction of the second temple was authorized by Cyrus the Great in 538 BC. The people of Israel were, were in exile, but they were allowed to come back. So a group of Jews came back to Jerusalem and they started rebuilding the temple, but they stopped. For 16 years, they did nothing. Well, they were working on their own houses, really. They did nothing on the temple for 16 years. And then the Lord sent a prophet to get them up and building. Anyone know who that was? 
Haggai. Haggai. Remember Haggai 1 and verse 8? Go up into the mountains. Number one. Number two, bring down the timber. Remember, you memorized this Bible verse because I said it 47 times in one sermon. (laughs) And number three, build my house. And so the Lord sends the prophet Haggai. He sort of motivates the people. He makes it really simple and easy for them in, in three easy steps. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, and build my house. And so they complete the temple. So this is the second temple. It was completed. And then... Herod, who was ruler during Jesus' time, he, uh, let's say, did upgrades to the temple. He, he really built it out and did major upgrades to the temple. So it was that way during the time of Christ. I'm not going to get too far in the weeds with the temple, but we know that uh, the place where Jesus uh, had this episode where he's overturning the, the tables, it's in a place called the outer court. It was known as the court of Gentiles. Uh, This was a place in the temple, uh, the temple area, where both Jewish and Gentile people were allowed to be. Court of Gentiles, meaning you can be there if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Uh, If you weren't a Jew, you were allowed to go no further. In fact, there were even signs posted warning death if you were not a Jew and dared to travel farther into the temple. And so the Jewish people, what they were doing was they would come to the temple to celebrate the Passover holiday. And when they did that, they had to offer a sacrifice. And they had to pay their annual uh, temple tax. But they had to pay it in the form of a half shekel. A half shekel would have been the annual temple tax. Which really sort of explains the money changers. See, they, they would have carried Roman currency. It's got Caesar's name and, and image on it. They weren't allowed to use Roman currency to pay the temple tax. So just like when you travel internationally, you change currency. This is what they were doing. They they had to exchange the Roman currency to get the shekel in order to pay for their uh, annual temple tax. They had to pay with the shekel. You couldn't pay with Roman currency. So that sort of explains why they were exchanging money. And the selling of animals in the temple courts, of course, that's prescribed by Old Testament law. Like when they show up, Uh, They're to offer the animal sacrifice. And some people are traveling from a great distance to the temple. They they cannot bring with them the animals. And so they bring money with them and they buy the animals when they get there. Uh, Part of the problem here is that they were being charged an exorbitant amount of money for these things. You know, it's it's when you go to the baseball game and the hot dog is $14. (laughs) That's kind of what's happening here is... There's a, there's a general price that you're going to pay for the dove that you offer in sacrifice, but they've jacked it up ten times. Well, if you want to worship, here's what you have to pay. So, take a step back as we think about this story, this true story about Jesus. He, he curses the fig tree, he cleanses the temple, and really in doing so, he's pointing to a deeper truth, a, a sort of greater meaning, like... Like, here's what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen to the Jews. Ultimately, listen, here's what's going to happen to anyone who doesn't allow the gospel to transform their lives. Destruction. The fig tree, the temple, they were both halted completely in their activity. 
And just two chapters later, so in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is going to tell his followers very plainly, very clearly, that this temple is going to be destroyed. So you note here that as Jesus encounters the fig tree, and maybe if you're like me, you go, well, okay, couldn't Jesus have simply said, fig tree, bear fruit, and like, there's fruit on the tree? You know, why, why did Jesus, like, like, he chooses a miracle of destruction and says, no one's ever going to eat fruit from you again. He doesn't just say, he doesn't just bring forth fruit. Like, that tree is never going to bear fruit again. He destroyed, he didn't try to reform the fig tree. <laughs> he condemned it. He didn't go into the, to the temple courts and say, here's how I want you to run the business here. Here's how I want you to operate. He just halted it entirely and completely. It all came to a, a, to a stop. He's making a statement of judgment on things that have the appearance of godliness, but are devoid of true righteousness. So the temple had the exact same problem that the fig tree had. Leafy and green from a distance. Right? He's traveling, he's hot, he's tired, he's hungry. What's that? Oh, it's a fig tree. Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be a great snack. That's going to be a great pick-me-up. It's going to get me all the way to Jerusalem. The temple had the exact same problem. Leafy and green from a distance. But when you actually get there, there's no fruit. And so we find a principle here that's important for our lives as well. I think there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow that, but I'll put it this way. Jesus wants us to be like figs. And what I mean by that is when we follow Jesus, when we're part of the kingdom of God, we just refuse to live life by mere appearances. We just refuse to say that it's all about the exterior. It's all about the external. It's all about what people see. So let me just encourage us today. Don't confuse leaves with fruit. In your own life. I'm not saying look at others. I'm saying in your own life. Don't confuse leaves with fruit. You know, as, as impressive as leaves are from the distance, they just don't mean anything when you arrive and there's no fruit there. The Jewish temple, I'm telling you, it looked really impressive, especially after the upgrades done by Herod. It had all the appearance of something amazing, magnificent, great. It had massive walls. It had ornate architecture. Sheer size, my goodness. But the temple wasn't producing the fruit of holy living. It wasn't producing the fruit of joyful worship. And Israel, who was just compassionate and righteous, the temple had become all leaves and no fruit. And so Jesus stops it. Just like with the fig tree, he didn't reform it, he condemned it. So might I just ask, can our lives be the same way? Do we ha have habits or, or tendencies where uh, we attend worship on Sundays? But what are we doing to worship God the other days of the week? Like, what does worship look like for you on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, etc.? And what good does it for me to come into the house of God on Sunday? Oh, God, I love you. Oh, God, I'll serve you. 
when Monday through Saturday, life is not lived for the glory of God. Praise is never upon my lips. Like what? Do we fall into the same category at times as this fig tree? Or, you know, we read our Bible and every day I'm going to get into the word of God. I'm going to study the word of God, but I fail to actually obey what it says. We love the uh, ichthus, the fish symbol. You know, we'll stick that baby on our car, put it on our business card. But then do we actually drive in a way that reflects Jesus? Do do we actually operate our business in a way that shows that we are kingdom-minded people, where Christ is first? See, those those are leaves that might impress people from a distance. Oh, I see you got the Jesus fish on your car. That's rad. That's a leaf. But are you cutting people off or are you that guy who's like, go ahead, let me serve you. Unless those leaves, unless those signs and symbols are producing godly fruit in our lives, then they're only there for show. And so my encouragement is recognize the difference between leaves and fruit. Jesus wants us to be like figs. He wants us to be fruitful. I love ice cream. It's one of the things that I uh, dabble in whenever I'm able. (laughs) And maybe you've had the experience like I have where I'm going to get some ice cream. I'm pretty excited. And I go to the freezer and I see the carton. And I get out the carton and I take off the lid. And the only thing inside is this like freezer burned goo stuck to the edges. (laughs) Uh, Like... Thanks, kids. You probably should have just thrown this right in the trash, but just stuck it back in the freezer. Because I thought that as I got the carton of ice cream out, that there was going to be a delicious treat inside. But I was sorely disappointed. That's just what happens with Jesus here. He is traveling along. And listen, I brought some figs with me today. I want to share some. Anybody want a fig? Anybody brave enough to try a fig? Maybe you love figs. These are, they're good. I had one this morning. I told our cameraman today, I said, I'm going to offer figs. I said, I doubt anyone's actually going to come up, so I'm going to go to them. Um, Yeah, maybe you've never tried a fig, and today's the day to be brave and try one. Drew? (laughs) Jordan? Jesus is traveling along. He's like me looking at the ice cream carton. There's the, there's the fig tree. Nate? Never had one. Today's the, it's the snack of Jesus, guys. Okay, now more people are getting brave. They're going, I saw four people eat it. John didn't poison those. I'm okay. If nothing else, this will help you remember today's sermon, I think. Dolores is like, not my thing. No, you're not supposed to put money in here. <laughs> Jesus is traveling along. He sees, he sees this leafy tree, and this is what he thinks is going to be on it, right? This is the ultimate grab-and-go snack, travel snack. He's thinking he could just grab some of these. He can just enjoy them as he goes. The fig Newton hasn't been invented yet, so he's just going with the, with the figs. Okay, Jackson? 
All right, anybody else want to try a fig? They're dried figs, yeah. Mission figs is what these are. Yeah, it's great to see you. Welcome. <laughs> the ultimate grab-and-go snack. Now, this will tide over some people until lunch, unless it's, they think it's gross. And in which case, Mom, I hope you brought some tissues. Because that's what happened when I tried one with Elijah. It came right back out. <laughs> there you go. Dried figs. Snack of Jesus. Wes, do you want one? Okay. Anybody else? Check your teeth in the mirror afterwards. Because. Okay. Anybody over here? Rocky wants one. Big. Last chance. Okay, good. Anybody fig? This is great. I'm going to run out. Leon, you like the fig? Okay. James has his notebook out, taking notes today. This guy sets a high standard. I, I, uh, I see some other notebooks too, but we have, a, we have a young man who joins us on Sundays and he brings a binder with loose leaf paper and a pen and he just jots down notes and studies the word of God. See, they're, they're not bad, yeah. It reminded, me of the, it reminded me of the fig newtons that my grandma used to give me. So just like I am disappointed when I see the freezer-burned goo. This is what Jesus was expecting. Just a great snack as he's traveling along. He gets to the tree. There's no figs there. And so he's disappointed. <laughs> right? This is like you're on the highway. You see the golden arches, but they got no sausage McMuffins. He curses the fig tree. All right, jump down to after the cleansing of the temple, starting in verse 20, right? Where it tells us then the next morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. This thing is just gone. It's dead. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. <laughs> like that thing is totally done. Spoken from the mouth of Jesus, and now it's never going to produce fruit again. So, so the, the, the message here really is pretty simple and clear and straightforward, friends. That, that the destruction of this fig tree, this story, this, this miracle of Jesus, it's a sobering and symbolic statement of God's judgment. And I want us to catch very clearly what, what the judgment is upon. It's upon the appearance of faithful living without the substance of faithful living. Here's what the judgment is upon. The appearance of faithful living without the substance of faithful living. I'm going to be this way at church, but I'm going to be that way at school. I'm going to be this way when I'm with my Christian friends, and I'm going to be that way when I'm with those other people. That's just what Jesus is condemning. And while we're on that sober topic, let me just share with us a passage from 
the prophet Amos in chapter 5, where the Lord says through this prophet, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. says, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Stop trying to fool God. With your empty worship. With the appearance, leafy green, of a pious Christian, but devoid of true righteousness, spirit-infused, living for the glory of God. You know, we're not even fooling the unbelieving world. Why do they think that we're hypocrites? Hmm. Is it possible it's because they've seen that? And listen, I'm not talking about being perfect. The the good news of the gospel says that even in my imperfections, God makes me righteous and holy through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about you being perfect and you being good enough and you trying harder. Fruitfulness in your life is the work of God. It's not, it's not anything you do other than putting your faith in him. What does a fig tree do that causes it to grow and produce fruit? What does a fig tree do? It's God who created the soil. It's God who provides the sunlight. It's God who showers it with rain. It's God who brings forth the fruit. And it's the same in our lives. Galatians 5 teaches us about the fruit of the spirit. Is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of Brian. Not the fruit of Leanna. Not the fruit of David. The fruit of the Spirit are those things. And as we live in the Spirit, right? Uh, Just the next verse says, so keep in step with the Spirit. (laughs) So as we look closely at what Jesus teaches us here, to be fruitful, to be like figs, we're going to see that Jesus wants us to have faith. That's our part. He wants us to have faith. Just last week, we talked about becoming like a little child, remember? Having the faith of a child, not childish, but childlike. You know, praying selfishly for what we want, that's childish. But praying earnestly, Praying for God's will, that's childlike. Saying, this is impossible, but God, I know you can do it. That's childlike. Praying with absolute faith that God can do the impossible. And that's what Jesus urges. Verse 22, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. My son Elijah was born with a hole in his heart. We had to take him, I think, every other week or once a month to the pediatric cardiologist. 
The Reisner kids were very distraught about little baby brother with the hole in his heart. And so they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Fervently, passionately, sincerely, God, heal Elijah's heart. I was uh, coaching a, a little kid's basketball team at that time. I shared it with them. <laughs> we soon had this whole group of little kids, little intercessors, pleading with God that he would heal this young child, this newborn's heart. We took him for his checkup. He was seven months old. The doctor says, there's no more hole in his heart. <laughs> he was healed completely and entirely. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with his heart. And we believe that God responded to those very sincere, very heartfelt prayers of children. That he responded to that kind of faith. Now, if we read these verses in context, which is the way we study scripture, we're going to just pluck something out and then build a theology or belief system on it. We study it in context. And if we do that with these verses, we realize that what Jesus is saying is that we should trust God to remove everything that hinders us from bearing fruit. That's how we should read this in context. The moving mountains thing. We should trust God enough that he can move anything out of the way that is keeping us from the life that he has designed for us. The, the kind of prayer Jesus is talking about here is to say, God, I am yours completely and entirely. Let nothing keep me from you. Shape me, use me, mold me, do the impossible in my life. But let me just say that I think so often we're focused on the wrong thing in prayer. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone. We're so focused on what we want. That, that so often my prayers are just this like list of, hey God, here's your to-do list. Like here's what I want you to do. And if there is any prayer principle that I want you to hear today, as we're talking about remarkable prayer, Jesus teaching here in Mark chapter 11, if there's any prayer principle I want you to hear today, it is this. Prayer should be God-focused. Prayer should be God-focused. Prayer should be about God. Prayer should be to God. Prayer should be looking to God. And again, I think if we're honest, so many times our prayers are just us telling God what course of action God should take. <laughs> you know, if you have it all figured out, why do you even need God? If you know what should happen, and you're hopeful that those things are going to come about, then what use is prayer? But Jesus says that faith can move mountains. And so you and I, we go, well, that's impossible. Mountains can't be moved, right? Right. Right. It's impossible. But God can do the impossible. What's more impossible than the lost being found? What's more impossible than the blind receiving sight? What's more impossible than a sinner being brought into the kingdom of God and welcomed into his eternal presence? And so I do want to say very clearly and forthright that it is a misuse of this verse to teach that, that if you just pray for a specific request, like, like physical healing, for example, if you just pray for that, 
then God is going to do it. Just as long as you have enough faith, God is going to do what you've asked him to do. And if it doesn't happen, well, then you just didn't have enough faith. It's a, it's a, it's a misuse of this passage if we teach that. Of course, God can heal our physical ailments, just like he healed Elijah's heart. Of course, God can do that. And we pray for God for healing, and we should do that. But we also pray for the will of God. We submit to the will. We we should have the perspective of Jesus, which is this. Absolute confidence in God's power and absolute submission to God's will. That's the way Jesus prayed. Like Mark 14, 36. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. This is the prayer of Jesus. Everything is possible for you. He says, take this cup from me. He's talking about the crucifixion. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the perspective we should have. Absolute confidence in God's power and absolute submission to God's will. God is going to supply our every need, the scriptures tell us, according to his riches in glory. And just as Jesus forgives us, then he calls us to forgive others. Jesus wants us to forgive. So praying while you're holding a grudge against a brother or sister, another person, is like that tree who has leaves but no fruit. It's like the noise of a song that no one wants to hear. And so Jesus says in verse 25, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Boy, this is almost as simple as the message of Haggai. Go up into the mountains, bring down the timber and build the house. If you hold anything against anyone, Jesus says, forgive them. He says, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You want to do God's will? Forgive. You want to be effective in prayer? Forgive. You want to be like Jesus? Forgive. You want to see gospel transformation in your life. You want to see spiritual growth. You want to become a giant in the faith. Forgive. Do you want a healthy marriage? Forgive. Do you have mountains in your life that need to be moved in order for you to be at one with God, fruitful for his kingdom? Forgive. And ultimately, do you want to be forgiven yourself? Then forgive. Listen, I know... We've all been wronged, we've all been hurt, we've all been offended, we've all been ignored at times and ridiculed at times and undermined at times. We've been disrespected. Forgive. Jesus makes it really simple. Don't stand before God offering eloquent prayers, saying, Lord, here's what you need to do. Lord, here's what needs to happen in my life while you're holding a grudge against someone else. That's a mountain that needs moved. And God can do the impossible. Your part is to have faith. Here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, 19, or 3 verse 9. rather. Uh, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. To this you are called. 
so that you may inherit a blessing. Biblical scholar and commentator Warren Wearsby says, to return evil for good is satanic. To return evil for evil, well, that's human. To return good for evil, that's divine. So for MCA, to be a church that is powerful in prayer and effective, we've got to have harmony and unity in our fellowship. And harmony and unity not because we've avoided offense, but because we've chosen to follow the command of Jesus and forgive when we offend, when we hurt. So stop worrying so much about what people think. Stop trying to just keep up the appearance that looks so Christian. You, know, you, want, you want to have that appearance of a dutiful Christian. Instead, how about this week you consider who it is that God might want to use you to encourage and maybe disciple in their faith? We sang it in one of the songs this morning. It was something about, uh, lead me in your love to those around me. Do you remember that? So the Lord is like, 350 people sang to me, Lord, lead me in your love to those around me. How many of them are actually going to do it? So don't worry about keeping up the appearances. Think about who, who is it that God is leading you to? Who is it that's around you that needs you to offer prayer or a word of encouragement or, or serve them and bless them, disciple them, encourage them, share your story of faith with that person? I'd like to challenge each and every one of us. And listen, I'm included in this, not exempt in any way, but, but challenge this week that, that we would cultivate the habit of God-focused, persistent faith-filled prayer. Lord, here I am. Mold me. Lord, I want to know you. And in that prayer, pray that God would remove anything and everything that is keeping you from bearing fruit. And if you're holding on to a grudge, if you've had struggles with just letting go and forgiving that person, that wrong, that hurt... Let's keep it really simple, just like Jesus did. Forgive. Choose by the power of God and his Holy Spirit within you to forgive. Whether they've asked for forgiveness or not, by the way. And then maybe even let them know that you sincerely and genuinely have forgiven. So when we come to God with this sort of faith, this, this remarkable prayer of faith where we just absolutely trust him, absolute confidence in God's ability. He does move mountains. And so I pray that we would be filled with faith, that, that we would be bearing fruit and, and displaying the impossible wonders of God in a world of disbelief, that, that we would pray according to his will, that we would forgive as he forgives, and that we would share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, we don't take for granted the opportunity we have today to draw near to you. And so we come just waving the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
with gratitude in our hearts for his shed blood. Lord, would you help us to forgive those that have wronged? Lord, would you lead us away from the leafy green appearance of faithful living and into the rich, substantive joy of faithful living. Nourish us by your word. Guide us, Lord, as a light guides our path. And in all of it, Lord, you receive the honor. You receive the glory. We look to you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for your endless love for us. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.